Good morning, everybody. Check, check. Am I on? I'm on back here. Yellow. Can you hear me now? All right. Hey, everybody. My name's DJ, uh, one of the pastors here at PFC. It's great to be together this morning. Um, before we get into the word, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 this morning. I'm just going to give five minutes of uh, where we're headed, where we've been, where we are now, and where we're headed. Um, how many chapters are there in the book of Luke? Anybody know? How many? I hear different numbers. I, I heard 24, which is correct, and that's what we're in today, uh, meaning that we are wrapping up our series in the book of Luke. So I wanted to give everybody a preview uh, for where we're headed just for a few minutes here. This is where we've been. At PFC, we've been walking through the book of Luke since last October. Uh, at first, when we started the series, I was doing like one story per chapter each week, so it was going really slow. And uh, when, the, when the merger officially took place this past June, as a pastoral team, uh, we discerned that continuing the series in Luke made sense especially through the summer months, because we knew people would be going on vacations and traveling. And so trying to really start something new, we, we felt like waiting for the fall would be wise uh, for that. So we could all kind of be together when we launch into something new. So we, we just uh, we picked up the pace significantly, started covering a chapter a week, which we've been doing uh, since June. And uh, yeah, and we have made it to Luke 24. That's where we are, the last chapter of the book of Luke. So where are we headed? Two places that we are headed this fall. Um, first, we're headed to Antioch. Look at your neighbor and say, let's go to Antioch. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool if we all went to Antioch together? That'd be awesome. We are going to go to Antioch together, and here's why. Uh, the church of Antioch played a significant role, uh, specifically in the book of Acts. Acts is part two uh, in the Luke Acts, it used to be that they were together in early church history. They were written by the same author, Luke, and traditionally in early church history, Luke and Acts were actually put together in a single scroll. And so you'd go straight from Luke into the book of Acts, and Antioch features prominently in the book of Acts. It's also featured prominently here at PFC in uh, recent years. Um, for a while now, there's been a stirring uh, that the leaders, elders, believe is from the Holy Spirit that uh, Antioch is a picture of the type of church that God has called and gifted uh, PFC to be. That's a, it's something that I've talked about since I've been here over the last five years. And um, recently, it was really affirmed and confirmed through um, the Netzer discernment process that PFC walked through this past spring. So we brought in three pastors uh, from Netzer. And they walked our congregation before the merger through a discernment process. And one of the main pieces of discernment that came out of that Netzer discernment was that PFC, and this is from the document that they gave to us, PFC is called to be a sending church with a strong Christian identity and sense of mission. Consider yourselves like the regional church of Antioch uh, from Acts 11 and 13. And then three subpoints under that. Continue to make spiritual formation a priority. Steady the Church of Antioch in the book of Acts. Trace the fingerprints of God in this early church and ask the Lord to reveal the spiritual principles that you should build on and accept that your calling will come with both joy and uh, loss at times or grief. Create space for both honor and grief with each transition 
as a standing spiritual practice. So we want to take this seriously. And so as a congregation, through the month of September, all four weeks of September, we're going to be studying the book. Uh, in the book of Acts, we're going to be studying the Church of Antioch and looking at who we are as a congregation and saying, uh, looking at the similarities, looking at ways we can grow and learn as a congregation. So we'll kick off that new series in Antioch next Sunday. Then we're headed to, anybody know where this is? Yeah, this is Happy Valley. This is Penn State. Do we have any Penn State fans in here? Nobody? No? No Penn State fans? All right, we got some Penn State fans in here. I, I'm a big uh, sports fan. I could care less about college football, um, but I know it's a big deal. And uh, so this is a, a picture of uh, Penn State, Happy Valley. Anybody know, what's the cheer at Penn State? We are. Everybody say, we are. All right, so we're headed to Happy Valley, and that was just a way to get us to remember this, because we, uh, we're going to, uh, starting in October, uh, up until Advent, in late November, we're going to be in a series called We Are, and in this series, we'll be exploring who we are as a local church family coming off of Antioch, so Antioch is a way that we're going to be speaking into that, and then we're going to go into a series called We Are, where we'll be exploring who we are as a local church family. We'll talk about our purpose, mission, vision, as a church family, we'll discuss some of our most important values and the distinctives that make us who we uniquely are. Also, during the month of October, I just want to put a, a really giant plug for this because I think it's so important. Uh, we just today wrapped up our PFC 101 class, and we had a small group join us and appreciate the folks who joined us over the last month. In October, we're going to run the PFC 101 class again and we're going to do it here in the sanctuary, and I would like everybody, whether, whether you've been through PFC 101 in the past or, or not, I'd like everybody to consider joining us for PFC 101. We, we're a new congregation. This is, this is something new, um, even though we have this, the, these individual histories. And so we've reworked the material, and um, we're going to be doing that at 9 a.m. here in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings in October. So please consider joining us. Uh, for PFC 101 in the month of October, and it'll dovetail really quite beautifully uh, with the series that we'll be in, where we'll be talking about similar things, about who we are as a church family. So once again, just because I like interaction, look at your neighbor and say, we are. All right. That's where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. This has been a five-minute PFC teaching and vision (laughs) update. (laughs) All right, uh, this morning we're wrapping up uh, Luke 24. It's a big chapter, obviously a very important chapter. And I want to I wanna look at the whole story. Uh, I want to cover every verse, in fact, starting uh, with the end of chapter 23. And so I'm not going to do as much teaching today as I am going to do and uh, just collective throughout the morning invitation to enter into the story. My guess is that you probably know the details to the story of the resurrection. Um, My guess is I could say, can you recount for me details about what's recorded in the Gospels? And hands would shoot up, and we'd be able to reconstruct much of what is in the Gospels because we've heard these stories, and we've listened to them, and we've thought about them. And while the ability to recall details from the Gospels is incredibly important, I've hidden your word in my heart the word says, that that I might not sin against you. And obviously the resurrection story is key to that. Um, This is more than just about memorization. 
um, this story, which is the very basis of our hope. Without Luke 24, without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. There, there is no church. There's no story. There's no mission. I mean, this is the foundation of who we are as a people. So this is more than just about rote memorization. This is a story meant to be lived out over and over and over again in our very lives. Our lives are a witness. If we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, your life is a living testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you and I, in Christ, have been crucified with him. And it's no longer our lives that we live. It's his life. And if it's his life, then it's his resurrection life in us. And so this is incredibly important, not just to memorize, but to actually embody. And so what I want us to do this morning is use our imaginations. Have you ever thought about how imaginative God is? What an imagination. Have you ever, have you ever watched videos or studied cuttlefish? You know what a cuttlefish is? I'm a, I, I love the ocean. A cuttlefish is a magnificent creature. It's one of the most intelligent uh, creatures that has a memory like an elephant that lasts for years and years. And if you watch a cuttlefish, it changes thousands of, of colors. And it's just uh, this amazing camouflage. It's an incredible creature. Or, or uh, have you ever heard of a tarsier? A tarsier is the world's smallest monkey. It's uh, in the Philippines on one island, the island of Bohol. Um, and I've gotten to hold tarsiers a number of times. The entire body of the monkey is the size of my fist. And so a full-grown tarsier gets in my hand, and it's that big. And it's got eyes like an owl, so it's, its head is just two big eyes. It looks like a Disney character, and it's just sitting there. God has an amazing imagination. Or think about Jesus telling the parables. I mean, my goodness, Luke 15, maybe the greatest story ever told the story of the prodigal son, this is from Jesus' imagination. He's imagining the principles of God. He's imagining the heart of the Father and then speaking it in the form of, of an imaginative story. You and I, made in the image of God, have an imagination that is a gift from God. This imagination can be twisted and, and used in inappropriate ways, like when we imagine harm or we imagine hurting someone, or we lust, or, or we imagine stealing something. That's, that's our imagination broken. That's our imagination gone wrong. But that doesn't mean that imagination is bad. Far from it. Because in order to have a life of faith, a life of belief, a relationship with God, we have to integrate our imagination into that. To picture Christ enthroned is using our imagination to hear the gentle stirrings of the Holy Spirit within us as we seek and pray is our imagination at work, redemptively with the Lord. And so as we go into Luke 24, as we engage the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, allow yourself to be drawn deeper into the story using your imagination. You probably know the story well. You can probably recall many of its details, and the events of the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. But this isn't just a story to recall. It's a story meant to be embodied and lived. Let the wonder and majesty of these events come alive in a new way today 
as you step into the story and put yourself in the shoes of Mary or one of the other women or of Peter or of Cleopas, a man who appears in Luke 24, whose name appears one time, and that's all we know about him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you taste and see that the Lord is good? What do you use? You use your imagination. It's how you taste and see the goodness of God. So would you join me in prayer? And as we go into the scripture, let's invite the Holy Spirit to open up our imagination redemptively with him to be able to put ourselves in this story and experience it in a fresh and wonderful way. This morning, Jesus, we pray this very prayer. You're the God of redemption. You take what's broken and you make it right. And you do that through your resurrection, including every bit of our fallen selves, including our minds and our imaginations, which are broken and fallen, which can be used for evil, and yet were created for good. What is Adam using when he sees the animals and he names them? He's using his imagination. What is Adam using when he sees Eve and says, oh, this is me outside of me. You are flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. No one else looks like me. You look like me. Therefore, I shall call you woman. So from the very beginning, you created us with imagination. And you're redeeming that through the cross and through the resurrection. So as we enter this story, may our imaginations be opened up this morning as we engage your precious holy word. And God's people pray this together in this room. Let's say it together. Amen. Luke chapter 23, starting at the end, uh, Christ has been crucified. Starting in verse 50, it says, now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council. We don't know anything about Joseph. This isn't Jesus' father. Same name, popular name. Raise your hand if your name is Dave in this room. One, two, three, four, five, six. Joseph was the Dave of the first century. There was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. Did you notice that? So he's on the council. He's in an impossible situation. Have you ever been in an impossible situation like that? He does not agree. His conscience is stricken, but he has no power to stop what's happening And this is what he does. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, going to Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. This man puts his very neck on the line and says, not only am I not okay with this, I'm going to go retrieve the body of this man And at my own expense, put him in my family's tomb. Maybe his mother or father or or wife or children uh, were going to be buried there. But he takes it and he gives this space for the body of Jesus. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Now, this is a whole group of women. Luke's been talking about the women from the very beginning of the gospel. There's a whole section in Luke that talks about the women who not only followed Jesus, but who also provided for his ministry. They're the ones who are footing the bills. They're the ones who are putting food on the table for Jesus and the disciples. And these women, while the men abandoned Jesus in fear, these women had stayed with him even to the point of death. 
on the cross. And they follow Joseph to the tomb. And they see where he laid the body. And they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandments. So Jesus dies on Friday. They rest on the Sabbath on Saturday with the anticipation, with the plan of going back on Sunday, which would have been their Monday. It's not yet the holy day. And so Sunday is their Monday, the first a day of their work week, and they're ready. You know, when, that, when the sun rises on Sunday morning, they'll go back to the tomb and they'll care for Christ's body. So just for a second, again, entering into your imagination, what do you think it was like for Joseph of Arimathea to risk his reputation to personally take care of Jesus' body? I guarantee you that they did not look at him. Those men he sat in that council with did not look at him the same from that day forward. His life changed forever at that moment. What was that like for him? What do you think it was like for the followers of Jesus to rest on the Sabbath? I saw, um, I don't mean to denigrate, I, I just mean to point out a, I think, a, a reflex that we have in the Protestant church, a, a famous kind of prosperity gospel um, pastor. <laughs> I once saw a video of their Good Friday service. It was a Good Friday. And they walk out on the stage in this huge coliseum stadium that they're in. And it's, it's their Good Friday service. And they say, Jesus died. And they pause for three seconds. And then they yelled, but he rose again. And the entire stadium erupts in cheering. That is the proper response. But it misses the story. What was it like to sit for hours and hours and hours without that cheer of the stadium? To sit in the pain, in the unknown, in the silence. So for you personally, in the unknown, unresolved places of pain in your own life, can you rest in God's presence when he hasn't yet shown his resurrection power? Can you join the women? Can you join the disciples? Can we sit in the pain of Christ's death? Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, look at this question. What an amazing question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. 
Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Many commentators throughout church history have pointed this out. But who is the resurrection first pronounced to? And in the other Gospels, there is a revelation of Jesus in the garden to the women, specifically to Mary. It's to the women. Now, there's a line in here that could be a throwaway line in our time and culture, but it's not. Luke puts it in there on purpose. They did not believe the women. They didn't believe the women. Now, in Jewish customs in the first century and in Roman law in the first century, the testimony of a woman did, uh, was not counted in a court of law. And so a woman could not bear witness to any legal matter in an official court. The most important event in human history is entrusted to those whose account wouldn't count for anything in a court of law. Isn't that amazing? It speaks to the viability. It speaks to the, 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 the reality. It's one of the most beautiful proofs of the validity of the resurrection. Because if this was just propaganda written later, they would have never put the resurrection in the mouths of women. It would have been Peter. It would have been James. It would have been John. They would have been the ones. The apostles would have been the ones who saw. It would have been Nicodemus, someone with authority and prestige. But no, it's these women of no account in society who receive the message. There's also a tradition in church history, and I think this is so beautiful, and it's not taught in the Protestant church, um, but I think it should be. The first person entrusted with an apostolic message is this woman, the women, because what is the true foundation of the apostolic message? Christ Jesus has risen from the dead. That is the apostolic message. Christ Jesus has risen from the dead. So these women were the apostles to the apostles. They were the messengers to the messengers. The word apostle in Greek simply means messenger. These women were the messengers to those who were set apart to be messengers. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. Peter goes, and we know from uh, other accounts in the Gospels that John also ran uh, ahead. John was apparently faster, but Peter uh, true to nature, was bolder and was the one who ran in uh, and found the empty tomb. What would you feel or think if you were one of the women? And men, put yourself, women are often in our culture asked to imagine themselves in the place of a man. Less often are we men invited to put ourselves in the place of a woman. So imagine what that was like. So men and women, everyone in this room, what would you feel or think if you were among the women who found the empty tomb. What would that be like? Imagine, use your imagination. You've been grieving, you've been mourning, you've been waiting. Hours, a day plus has passed. You're traveling with your closest sisters. You had put your hope and love in this person. All of your hopes, all of your dreams were bound up in who he was, who you believed him to be, and you're going to minister to his corpse. And you enter in, enter in 
thinking that maybe this is a moment you can have some closure. Maybe it's a moment you can pray over the body. Maybe it's a moment you can squeeze his hand for the last time. And it's empty. How do you, in your own life, answer this question? We all do it. We all look for the living among the dead. So how would you, today, answer this question? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? What situation in your life are you looking for life where there's death? Perhaps the Holy Spirit is inviting you to look for life where there's life. Now that same day, okay, this is like one of the great stories. This next, this next story is one of, I mean, the great narratives, like beautiful, beautiful stories in the Gospels. That same day, and I, I kind of wish Luke had a little bit more of a modern sense, sensibility in his writing, because he gives away the ending at the beginning, and like, you know, it's in vogue today to like let it be a mystery to the end. But, but just put yourselves, again, using your imagination, put yourselves in the footsteps of these two travelers. And imagine you don't know. You don't have the big reveal. There's no spoilers. Now that same day, two of them, we don't know who they are except for Cleopas, so it may have been Cleopas and his wife. Could have been Cleopas and his sister. It could have been two male disciples. We don't know. It's two people, and we just know Cleopas. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. A good walk, but doable. They were talking with each other. Okay, so they've been in Jerusalem. Again, we think of Sunday as the weekend. This is not their weekend. It, they're going back to work. They've been celebrating the holiday, the Passover. They're grieving the loss of the one they hoped was the Messiah. And now it's back to reality. It's back to the farm. It's back to the market. It's back to their day-to-day -day responsibilities. It's their Monday morning. Seven miles, they're walking and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with, with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them. Again, Jesus is uh, hidden from them. They don't know. They were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? His question, what does it do? It literally stops them in their tracks. They stood still. <laughs> what? What? What do you mean, what are we talking about? Their faces fall, because it's so painful. Have you ever been grieving something so painful that just the thought of it after a moment of not thinking about it and just your whole, like, oh, it's real. It wasn't a dream. I'm actually living this. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. They're sure of this. They're sure of this. They can say this with assurance. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and then they crucified him. But this is what we had hoped. We knew for a fact he was a prophet, but what we hoped was that he was the one going to redeem Israel. And that's a shorthand way of saying we had hoped he would be the one who sat down on David's throne. The promised king. The promised Messiah. And what is more, it's the third day 
since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. (laughs) Oh, man. Can you just put yourselves in their footprints (laughs) and have Jesus speak that to you because we can join them confidently in missing Jesus when he's with us and just receive this gentle rebuke from Jesus, each of us today. How foolish you are. How foolish we are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him, no, stay with us. We've got room. We've got food. Stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he consented and went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, giving thanks. He broke it and began to distribute it to them. And then in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappears from their sight. They get a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus sitting in their midst, breaking the bread, distributing it, and then it's gone. And they're left once again dumbstruck, looking at each other. They say, this is amazing. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning, Jesus? May our hearts burn at the mention of your name. We have a lot of beautiful art in here at at PFC that our local artists uh, have created over the years. We have this amazing spirit dove. We have paintings around the church. All of our art is in-house art, except for a few pieces that were gifts from other churches uh, to us. And we've given away art. And I love that. One of my favorite pieces uh, of art that we have um, are these pictures that are here in the sanctuary, the black and white pictures. They were taken by Dan Fossey, one of our uh, photographers, during a Good Friday service when we had set up prayer stations. We invited Dave to come and use his nice equipment to take photos. And specifically, my favorite one is this one. That's my favorite picture. And I love looking and meditating on that picture. And I love just looking at the broken bread and picturing us around that table with these disciples and Jesus taking a loaf of bread and breaking it, and in the breaking, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Watch this sequence. Two disciples uh, walking, talking together. Jesus is unknown, unrecognized. He joins them. He enters the conversation and asks questions. He opens the scriptures to them, and he reveals himself in the breaking of bread. He does this with us today, the same sequence. Two by two, he calls us in relationship to walk out our faith journey together, including our doubts, including the times where we're like, I I don't know. I don't know if I even believe. I I have so many questions. Jesus unknown enters into those relationships, unrecognized often. 
He enters into our conversations. He's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our questions. That doesn't intimidate him or scare him. In fact, he loves hard questions. He enters in and opens up the scriptures, and he reveals himself in the sacraments, in the remembrance, in the breaking of bread, in prayer, in conversation. We're not our hearts burning within us. Notice the dynamic relationship between discussion of the scriptures or steady meditation and conversation and conversation with Jesus. Were not our hearts burning within us when we talked with him and when we meditated on the scriptures with him? Um, Some of us uh, uh, are more prone to saying like God speaks through the scriptures. That's the only way he speaks. Some maybe are more prone towards uh, God speaks in a dynamic way through his Holy Spirit. It's both. And without, without both, it's neither. It is through the revelation of the scriptures that we even know Jesus. The gospels are the revelation of Jesus. All of the scriptures are God's word and authoritative. And they teach us who God is. But without the Holy Spirit living within us and speaking among us, I mean, even the demons believe. That's not enough. It's both. The one without the other is heresy, and the other without the one is dead or lifeless. It's this dynamic relationship of coming to the scriptures and spending our lives studying them and then inviting the Holy Spirit, inviting the Lord himself to be in our midst and speak, and then returning back to the scriptures again, and once again inviting the Holy Spirit and the word of God to indwell and to speak. It's this dynamic relationship. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And they said, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two uh, told them what had happened and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were there talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. It is not a ghost. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe, they didn't believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave them a piece of broiled fish. It's kind of gross, but they gave them a piece of broiled fish. I'd rather have mine grilled or I don't know. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Let this be what we leave here with this morning. Jesus Christ in our midst, revealing himself through his word and through his Holy Spirit today. August, what is it, 28th, 2022 opening our minds, his people today, to understand the scriptures. He said, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached, and you are my witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, 
he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. I'm, I just want to point out one thing. Um, in Acts chapter 1, when he promises the same thing, look at verse 11 here. <laughs> They've watched Jesus ascend into heaven, and then there's angels standing there, and two men dressed in white, and they say to them, uh, why do you stand here looking in the sky? Do you remember the angel's question to the women? Why are you looking for the, what, living among the dead? And then what do they say to the disciples, the men, when they're staring up in the sky? Why are you looking in the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken away from you in heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus' final words in the book of Matthew are, Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you staring into the sky? He's here in our midst. He's dwelling within us and among us. We ourselves, living stones, being fit together into the temple of God. Worship team, you can come up. Um, and we're going to close our service with singing. But let me invite you to just take a posture of receiving for a second. Um, hands open. I want to pray this prayer that we're left with from this amazing story. Jesus, I pray that we would enter this story with our imaginations and carry it with us from here with our imaginations. In the book of Acts, the disciples gathered around Jesus. They say, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, are you going to make Israel powerful again? Are you going to do that now? And Jesus says, no. <laughs> That's not the point. This is the point. You will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit indwells you. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the point. Not that we would receive power to build earthly kingdoms, but that we as the people and followers of God would receive power from on high to tell this story over and over and over again. You will receive power to bear witness to these things. This is where God's power dwells in the people of God when we say, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is, risen from the dead. Look what he's done for me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, and he made me a new person. Jesus, may we know you in this way. If there's anyone with us this morning that doesn't know you in this way, may today be a day of falling before you and saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, as a church family, may we bear witness to the resurrection in every sphere of influence you call us to. From taking care of children at home, to going to the grocery store, to sitting at our desks at work, to teaching in schools, wherever you've called us to bear witness to the power of the resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing in closing. <clears throat>